Glad you could join me. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. A great show in store for you. Yeah, just about anything you want to know about versatile hunting dogs. We've got Ruth Weiss with us. You may not recognize her name, but if you test in the NAVDA system, she's probably seen your dog in action. If not, you'll learn something from what her observations have yielded. We'll ask all the dumb questions about testing and training. That's how you get to be a judge, by the way. She's also a fanatic bird hunter. She and I are conspiring right now on maybe a Southwest trip. So all of those things will be on offer as soon as we get to Ruth Weiss's interview. But we've got a lot before that and after that as well. The Upland Nation Glossary hits the letter U. Not a whole lot of listings there, but one that might be, well, appropriate for the discussion. And then our public access suggestion this week is out in Cajun country, so stand by for that. A whole bunch more to talk about, including, uh, well, uh, I guess I'll call it, uh, let's say, um, where you're headed this season. You know, I asked that and... uh, was intrigued with some of your suggestions and maybe some of you who haven't decided where to go yet for your big trip of the year will get an idea or two so stick around it's all coming up on the upland nation podcast here short runs early in the morning darn hot for most of the days right now i guess that figures lucky enough to have a lot of big ponderosa pines in the front yard so uh, we can do some yard training there a lot of the stuff i'm working on right now just doesn't require a lot of big runs it requires some discipline and some you know just the fine points whether it's the retrieving part as i've mentioned before flick gets a little bit excited and then he tenderizes my birds or it's the steadiness part. We can do all of that in the shade and uh, knock wood for that. You guys, uh, you're doing a little bit of everything. I see a lot of steadiness talk out there on social media. And then, um, well, uh, like me, uh, trying to get the, you know, the one niggling detail that's bugged you over the, you know, last since the last season closed. So um, interesting stuff. But uh, I should be grateful. I've got most of the day to work on. It seems like I've had a lot of magazine assignments the last three or four weeks. And you'll see a lot of those sooner than later. Uh, Word is out that um, um, I can deliver fast. And uh, I'm grateful for that because uh, it turns out to be a great way to kind of fill in the cracks in between TV shows and video production and all the other stuff I do, including this podcast. So watch for that in uh, well in virtually any magazine you read in the bird dog world and then a few others as well i'll keep you posted and speaking of posted don't forget we are back on the air so uh, check your local listings we're on every weekend on the outdoor america network and on samsung smart tvs all those you know streaming services on your smart tv we're there as well as well as seven regional sports networks and all of it is made possible by roughland performance kennels sage and breaker gun care products pointer shotguns mid-valley clays and shooting school and ringneck nation my favorite place you're on south dakota see you there this season Boom. 
Well, thanks to my good friend Cletus Bianchi, who made a mission out of hunting in every state in the Union with his French Brittany a few years back. He shares this one with us. If we are looking for something to do as the season wanes and things start getting cold wherever you'd like to go, check out Louisiana. Yeah, you know, it wasn't too long ago when I figured out that the woodcock population that's up north when you're chasing them in October goes south for the winter to Louisiana in large part. One of the best places to chase woodcock in Louisiana is the Sherburne National Wildlife Area. It's not the great north woods. You got to watch out for gators. Uh, But for that late upland hunt, when you'd rather be there than shoveling snow not a bad idea the sherburne national wildlife area moist soil thick multi-generational cover right out of a textbook your best information source is the wildlife and fisheries office in opelousas louisiana they monitor the bird movement and they'll have some advice for you on when to come and where to go about 25 miles west of baton rouge the Sherborne National Wildlife Area. And one quick reminder before we get to Ruth Weiss and uh, all things versatile hunting dogs. Visit us at furfeathersfriends.com and find out how you can win a prize just for taking a friend hunting. The whole idea is, don't you want to share your dog with somebody Well, somebody who maybe hasn't hunted for a while is your first choice. Do that, and you might win yourself a prize at FurFeathersFriends.com. And when you're going, maybe you let them borrow your pointer shotgun. Learn more at LegacySports.com slash pointer. They are a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty. If you're looking for an entry-level gun, say for a younger shooter, well, they have youth guns that are sized just right. And by size, I don't mean just the buttstock is the right length to pull. I mean the barrel is the right length to balance the buttstock. So swinging that gun is as natural and organic for them as it is for you with your full-sized gun. Take a look at all the youth shotguns at LegacySports.com slash pointer well every time i do this i wish i'd do it again and that's why i've invited ruth weiss along to the upland nation podcast i met ruth at, i think it was gunning or, or doing something for a hunt test out our way and if you know anything about the NAVDA system, you know that we bring judges in from far, judges in from far away so that we have an objective opinion and, and some great expertise. We learn from everybody, and I learned from her as well, and now you will too. Ruth Weiss, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you, you know, you um, let's just put you where you are right now. You say you're out in Montana somewhere, and I, I wish I could say that. Well, I'm in beautiful Polson, uh, in the middle of the Mission Valley, staring at the beautiful Mission Mountains. Still snow on those things? Oh, uh, yep, yep. 
Same here. I think we're having a better water year than everybody thought we would. And I'm knocking wood. I just, I just finished a magazine article. I was sloshing around in meadows all last weekend. And I thought, what's wrong with, oh, usually we can't do that here this time of year. Uh, you seeing the same thing out there? Definitely. It's very green. I feel like in, I'm in the Emerald City and uh, coming from Southern California, where it's already brown and 95 degrees, uh, 63 today is pretty good. Yeah, I'm even more jealous now. <laughs> um, but uh, all work and, and no dogs makes a, you know, makes a very dull person of any gender um you're you're big in the navda world you've been judging for quite a while what else is give us more of your backstory in the in the hunting dog and in navda world well hunting dogs um i i never hunted or even shot a gun until i met my husband about 30 years ago and uh he was a hunter and he left me at home um when he would go to dove opener every year for about (laughs) three years and finally i was like well what do you guys do out there and uh i went and and one thing led to another and here i am Um, yeah i love it 11 little pointers later Uh, you know we we all take a a, you know a winding road to wherever we end up mine was much like yours later in life if you will Mm -hmm. Uh, what what finally caused the the change you went to a you went to a dove hunt and and did something just click yeah yeah uh it just was it just i liked the camaraderie i liked um um the satisfaction of of doing something shooting a bird and, and hitting something and uh and then we, we moved on to getting a bird dog. And that was really the thing that hooked me was getting the bird dog. I, I opted out of the, the men's uh, dove shoot after a few years and uh, moved on to the bird dog things. Because, you know, 113 degrees on September 1st in Yuma is not much fun for a dog. Yeah, I can imagine so. And if you're like me with with more than a little bit of ADHD, sitting still that long would drive me nuts. Uh, I, I love chasing pointing dogs. That's I think that's deep down why. Um, you, know, you know, you hit on something that really, uh, I never thought about this. I took a lesson from a guy once and he said, you know why you feel so good when you finally knock something out of the sky? Because back in the day when we were still cave dwellers, you threw a rock up there and hit the pterodactyl. <laughs> you knew your tribe would eat that night. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so tell us about the dog situation at your house these days. Uh, so, well, our house happens to be a, a trailer uh, for the last three years, wherever it's parked. And we seem to uh, have broken down our year into about half the time in, in San Diego area and half the time in Montana. Um, we, we always take the month of December for the last few years and hunt quail in Arizona, um, specifically Mern's quail. Um, however, the, the bird numbers haven't been great, so we kind of branched out last year and and chase some scalies and gambles i'm a little jealous because that is a trip i have tried to make over and over and over again and never quite done it uh i don't want you to give me the latitude and longitude but but are you <laughs> are you way down south 
Yeah, we're in Sonoida, Patagonia, down in that area. Love it. Uh, Sonoida has a soft spot in my heart. I'll bore you with that story some other time. Wonderful. But uh, but never been hunting out. Wasn't a hunter the last time I was there, but that was how long ago. Um, What is the the appeal, to, especially to Merns? Because I know you put that first on the list, and a lot of people do. It's one of those bucket list birds. What is it about Merns quail? Oh, well, I guess the main thing is that they generally hold for a pointing dog. So, you know, they're not, they're not frustrating in that sense that they, that they're running all over like crazy. And uh, it's just a very satisfying thing for both humans and dogs to actually do what your pointing dog is meant to do point. (laughs) And and so um, that's probably the, the, the best thing I like about it. And then the country is beautiful and it just feels like a, a third home to us. Why don't you describe it? Because I've written about it. I've, uh, you know, longingly, I've uh, talked to a lot of pro guides in that country. And and it's way different than most people envision for a quail hunt, isn't it? Absolutely. It's rolling oak covered, grass covered hills and uh, very deceptively tiring to hunt in because you're up and down and you're up and down. Uh, walking on hills covered in grass uh, with, you know, golf ball to softball sized rocks hidden in the grass. (laughs) The operative word is hidden in the grass, I think. Correct. Yeah. Um, So it's not easy hunting. It certainly isn't chucker hunting, but it's not easy hunting either. Yeah. Well, in chucker hunting, they're not hidden by anything. They're just everywhere. Correct. (laughs) Well, so... So if it's so grassy, and, you know, I've seen the pictures and I've seen the videos, where are the birds? They don't like that kind of stuff. They can be sitting right there in the grass. Really? And and they can be on the hillsides. They can be in the bottoms. Um, People like to say that they're always on the hillsides, and that is not the case always. Um, They can be on the hilltops. So um, I think it varies from year to year, depending on the cover and the food, certainly. Um, but but you can find them in all of those places, bottom hillside top, uh, tops as well. Hence the term hunting. Correct. <laughs> what about water for a Mern's quail? Are they coming to water regularly? You know, we don't all necessarily find them very close to water. I think they probably range pretty far for water. Um, um, water isn't always close by. Okay. Unlike some of the other quail, for example, the valley quail that come to my water feature every day. Hey, finally, we saw one <laughs> quail chick today. <laughs> it's been, it was a bad spring. I, I just have no doubt. But, uh, well, cool. Uh, and the dogs, what what do you run in these days? Oh, we've got poodle pointers. Uh, we've got a wire hair. We've got a 14-year-old griff. He's not hunting any longer. Um, and then we usually take one or two or three client dogs along to hunt as well. Um, you know, usually they're, they're owners who know that they aren't going to get to hunt the, that season very much, or they have a very young dog that they want to get exposed to birds and they don't want to, uh, they don't want to do the legwork, so to speak. So yeah. they'll send them along for the month. So you're, you're professionally training a little bit or maybe a lot now that I think about it. I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. about a few client dogs plus three or four of your own all all ugly dogs um, yep. wh- what is the biggest challenge you face taking a client dog on a hunt like that is it simply the the lack of bird contact they've had or is it something else 
Uh, yeah, typically the lack of bird, bird contact due to the owner's time constraints. Yeah, yeah. You know, life happens and people have jobs and people have babies and, you know, pe- people die and dogs die and whatever. And, uh, and, and a lot of people just want to get their dog out. They just can't do it themselves sometimes. Mm, jobs babies no, nope <laughs> oh, not on the list <laughs> i should well, have more dogs <laughs> so uh so when when you when you're introducing less experienced dogs whether it on, it's on Merns or you know down your way maybe gambles in san diego metro area what is the most important aspect of that from a handler standpoint how do you deal with that Oh, typically we'll we'll split the time between hunting the dog alone, so that they can get that um, that bond with the hunter and the dog alone, and then we'll put them on the ground with one of our experienced dogs, and uh, they seem to get a balance of being alone and then learning to work with another dog, and and dogs certainly learn from other dogs, especially good ones, so um, that's. Oh, that's our approach pretty much you know it's funny in the, in the day that's what everybody used to say oh, i'm just going to put him down with my old guy and he'll teach him all the ropes uh, but it's it's not as simple as that is it i mean what do you think a young dog is is picking up from an older dog well if you have respectful dogs so yeah. the old dog needs to respect the younger one just as much as the younger one needs to respect the older one yeah so it certainly is a, a dance to get them to uh, work together sometimes, but um, but but I think it's invaluable. When you say respectful, I think I know what you mean, but explain that for us just so that I'm not presuming something. Well, you know, the old dog needs to respect the young dog in the fact that, you know, sometimes they need to make the retrieve or, um, you know, let them come in and point as well and uh just just to share the experience and and not just do it all and let the young pup experience all of the all of the facets of what goes on during the day can you hand can you manage that somehow do you do that i mean like for example when i hunt with my best buddy he's got a labrador and, and i love the guy he's a great old guy buster's going on 11 i think but uh but we we spread out so we we don't we are not hunting together but we're hunting together because buster's going to come in and do what he does bust the well, birds yeah. <laughs> how, how do you handle the two the two together is there something you do with the older dog or the younger dog to make sure it's going to be a little bit more smooth well, we, Greg and I each hunt with a dog typically, and when we're taking out an older dog and the young pup, um, one of us handles the older dog and the other one handles the pup. And, um, you know, we're not going to put the pup with the, the selfish self-hunter dog. We're going to put him with the, the one who allows the younger dog to come. Yeah. And, and, and Greg and I hunt together uh, with each with a separate dog, and so... I don't know. We just do it. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're, you're just, uh, I mean, the hunters are being in effect, respectful of each other as well. And that, that means you got a dog that you can handle and you handle it appropriately vis-a-vis the other dog and the other handler. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and we've been doing it long enough. You know, I, we can just look at each other and I know to come around or take the other dog off and, and vice versa. I love it. Well, um, 
what is the one thing you learned last year during hunting season that we haven't that we want to we want we just want to take it from you instead of actually doing all the hard work oh i got a good one um um uh, when you when we went to a spot where there where there had historically been birds in the past and they weren't there and we we kind of like shrugged our shoulders oh well they're not here this year and then um, we we went into the next cut uh, a couple of days later, and voila, there's the birds. So don't always naturally assume that they're not there somewhere. Um, they may not be exactly where you think they are, but expand and look for them a little in a little bit bigger space. Yeah, I love it, and I'm hearing that more and more. And it, you know, we'll get to the why in a moment. Let me remind everybody you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, asking the dumb questions. The smart answers are coming from Navda Judge, avid bird hunter Ruth Weiss. Ruth, where did they go? Uh well, they moved to where the cover was. Cover the new the new cover. Yeah. So. An area had been burned okay. and it had new cover and that's where they were in the new cover. You know, uh, you're absolutely right. I have lived that. Uh, I'll never forget a, a place, probably the second place I ever hunted chuckers, lush Creek bottom, incredible cover all the way up to the top, found birds at every elevation the whole way. Tragically, 10 years later, burned to the ground, except for that green band about 10 foot wide on each side of the creek which was a miracle and Mm -hmm. sure sure enough i thought what the heck and i went up that thing and i went down that thing and on the way back down that thing not on the way up on the (laughs) way back down two coveys flew i actually shot some i I can prove it too i got pictures on this one everybody (laughs) Uh, but but they do they move way more than we think don't they Uh, it seems to be yep Yep. Well, um, someday maybe I'll be you know lucky enough to get down there, and maybe I'll run into you down there as well. It's on the short list, but beyond uh, beyond the Southwest quail, if if you're you know you're out and about, whether it's uh, you know Polson, Montana, or you're judging here and judging there, you see other places that are pretty great too. Do you ever get out beyond those? Oh, we did. We did last year. We spent the month of October over in Columbus, Montana. Mm. Um, uh, It's about an hour west of Billings. And so we had the chance to stay with friends over there and they they were working so they couldn't go hunt with us, but they would drop us a pin every morning. And their their phone number is what? (laughs) (laughs) And, And we would go find birds. However... Um, our dogs are quail hunters, right? I mean, yeah. we hunt quail. And so they didn't know what sharpies or huns or pheasants were because we don't hunt those birds. And it took us most of the month to figure out the birds. And probably the last week we were just getting it dialed in and we had to leave, of course. Um, but I can't wait to do it again. Oh, I'll see you there. I'll be there about September 15th. Wilson, we'll talk, but I'm intrigued. I mean, granted, I understand the humans have their own issues, uh, with a, with a bird, especially Sharpies and and Huns out there. I mean, it's like an ocean, but it's green. Well, it's brown that time of year. Uh, but what about the dogs? Do you really think they need to figure it out? And if they do, what do you mean by that? 
Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the cover is different than we hunt. The mm-hmm. birds are different. And, you know, we were where we were hunting, we could run into any of those three birds everywhere we went. So they were having to figure out three new bird behaviors and habitat. And we were, we're trying to figure out the habitat as well. Um, so we found birds all the time. Sometimes we got close. Sometimes we didn't. Sometimes the dogs got close and we didn't. Um, it was a big, big learning curve for all of us. Um, but I'm sure the next time we go, they're going to have a much better idea of how to handle those birds. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and if you had to narrow it down to one thing that dogs had to learn, was it distance from the birds was it uh the way they covered ground what what did they have to learn most importantly um i think for for most of our dogs it was the handling the running uh pheasants mm-hmm. and uh finally the last week we were there my old gal who's no longer with us anymore um pinned a, pinned a pheasant down after you know relocating and relocating and and she was just <laughs> amazing so um, that that thrill of that bird work, dogs working that bird was uh, just so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, and, and luckily on the prairie, you can see most of it. So it is even more fun, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Yep, yeah, but I, she had to learn it. It took, took all month to figure out those darn running pheasants. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll have the talk about cutting them off at the pass down the road sometime as well. I just had a discussion about that too. So, um, and in fact, in your country out there, up in in uh, I, I'll call it central Montana, um, that was one of the things I talked with somebody about yesterday. So, uh, if you're um, not hunting, you're judging and you're training. So let's let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, what are the the key what do you look for what do you try to accomplish on a regular basis with your dogs in terms of training we all got to keep them in condition but beyond Mm -hmm. beyond that what are the things that you are always keeping top of mind well for my personal dogs um i i like to have the 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 end result of of training with having a test (laughs) so so it it kind of it prompts me to work with my own dog because i work with other people's dogs Mm -hmm. because they're paying me to do it (laughs) but my own dogs often get get left behind so i find for myself if i set the bar of of whatever test it is um it's the invitational this year um that that i tend to make time to work my own dogs which a lot of dog trainers don't do yeah the shoemaker's kids going barefoot all the time i understand that and it's tough but you know it's funny and i joke about it it's almost become uh you know a mantra with me of all the organizations out there that test dogs in various ways the navda test and you know who told me this first was dick st Clair. you remember him way back in the day Mm, not sure okay he was a great nav to judge and he he judged a couple of my dogs over the years and he said in front of the group once after a test he said if your dog passes a nav to test at any level that dog's going to be the best dog in the field that day when you go hunting and it's so true the test and i know i'm 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 sounding like a fanboy but it's true the test tests the right stuff and you're a judge and you're preparing for the invitational with one of your dogs good luck by the way um, Thank you. 
what what is it about the testing program that that caused dick to say that and for me to believe it since then well i believe it as well and uh and like you said it's 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 as close as we can get to simulating hunting for a test i mean it surely is all set up and and manufactured but we, we you know navda back in all the guys who started this navda club um, wanted to make it as close as they could to hunting situations. And uh, and I think they did a pretty good job of it. it. It seems to have carried on. A few things have changed over the years, but um, it, it really does work, and it does simulate hunting experiences. Maybe not exactly, but, um, but helps you train your dog to be ready to encounter those things in the field. Yeah, amen to that. I I was watching it. Uh, don't ask me why, but I was watching part of a golf tournament a few days ago for some reason, and and they have their own version now. The PGA or somebody, the U.S. Golf Association, I think, has what they call the putt, pitch, and drive or something. And back in the day when we were playing football as kids, we had the punt, pass, and kick. It was a little contest, and you could go to the national contest if you did well at all those things. Those were the things that they – that was their invitational. You know, you had to do these things the same way that a, a footballer would do on the field. And uh, and uh, all the NABDA tests strike me as kind of one of the original versions of that. Uh, and we all know – we all, you and I know and many other people know – what's involved in a test whether it's the invitational or even a you know nat, national natural ability test what is the biggest challenge that you face as a trainer getting ready for that for any level of a- testing any level of testing being consistent ah <laughs> and i preach it to everybody and uh i'm my my own worst uh advice taker um, <laughs> i have to remind myself yeah. to do it yeah. and uh when you do do it, it you're rewarded with so much better uh results such better results well how do we force ourselves to do that i mean and by consistent what do you mean well doing something repeatedly in a in a in a consistent manner um so the dog starts to anticipate what's going to happen and and that's where the learning takes place is when they're starting to think ahead like hey, we're standing at this corner and she's asking me to smell that, that scent on the ground again. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so they, so they can know what's going to happen, um, and, and making it repeatable. Yeah. So, um, I want to say routine. Right. Right. So they, they're getting cues from you, maybe some that you don't even know you're giving. Is You ever sure. see that happen? I mean, I joke about it sometimes. I, I have to get dressed in the walk-in closet because if my dog sees me lacing up a pair of boots, he thinks he gets to go hunting. Yes, uh, and I tell that to people all the time. You don't have to talk to your dog. Your body language is talking to your dog way before you say the words, let's go for a walk or it's time to eat or whatever. Yeah, I uh, I used to hang my whistle uh, on a hook next to the door so that I'd put it on and then we'd go for a, a run. The moment he hears the jingle of the whistle lanyard, yep, he's off and running almost literally. Correct. Yep. So we got to be careful about that because it cuts both ways, doesn't it? 
exactly. <laughs> I catch myself doing things with my hands. Just this morning, I did something with my hands. My dog thought, okay, now that means he's going to put my collar on. Yes, right. <laughs> yep. If you, you touch him in a certain way or approach him in a certain way, yep. Yeah. Well, um, we will continue more about dog psychology and, and hunting, of course, and then uh, testing and training. It's all part of the Upland Nation podcast. Ruth, you get a moment to relax while I uh, make a little money around here. We'll also cover uh, the Upland Nation glossary. We're to the letter U, and it'll be appropriate. And we'll also talk about uh, where you're going and how far in advance you plan your big trip of the year after a couple brief announcements we are only made possible thanks to the strong support of people like sageandbreaker.com always free shipping on every bit of gun care stuff they sell and they still they sell some of the some you know the stuff is heirloom quality stuff you'll be handing it down the gun cleaning mat for example or their new shotgun case and on top of all of that now is a good time to stock up on what we used to call in the tv business consumables their clp clean lube and protect just spray it on and wipe it in and your gun is safe for the next day firearms grease for all the really high friction areas on your gun say in the act not in the action in the in the chopper lump and finally the bore cleaning kit one pull and your shotgun is ready to go the next day and speaking of ready to go roughlandkennels.com is where you get your dog ready to go with you you know more dogs ride in a roughland kennel than any other performance kennel my friends doug and elisa they pioneered roto molding and dog kennels and they've got it down to a science in fact they've just added all new tooling and molds don't worry all the new generation two kennels will stack and couple with all the previous versions i mentioned i think last week i put my easy rider top tray that i got years ago on my brand new kennel and i put another water topper on the other kennel, the guest dog kennel so check it all out at roughlandkennels.com and remember flick spells rough r-u-f-f and so should you rough landkennels.com Ruth Weiss did I scare you off or you're still there I'm still here fantastic I'm enjoying the hell out of this I hope you don't mind my having so much fun on your account well I'm having fun as well good Um, so you got a dog with you at the moment um, I'm sitting in my truck in the in the uh, front yard of my friend's place in Polson with Wookie on the passenger seat, uh, Bitsy and Cash in the back seat. Tell, tell them they're good dogs. <laughs> they are good dogs. <laughs> so, so which is which? I I'm going to guess Wookie is a poodle pointer. A Wookie is actually a Wasop, so oh, something mixed. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, all right, editor, cut that part out. Okay. <laughs> no, I get it. You're right. They do have more of that look, don't they? <laughs> and and then Bitsy and Bitsy is the Poodle Pointer 11, and Cash is the 14 year old uh, 
a griffon. I love it. Uh, uh, gray around the muzzle. I mean, more gray than he started out. Yeah, more gray. More, let's call it white. White. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's always, you know, I don't know. I, it, I guess I'll say it's always sad when you see your dog's first white hairs on their muzzle, isn't it? Well, it's just the progression. Yeah. It's just part of it. <laughs> Luckily, Flick's not there yet, but my buddy Tom's, um, wire hair is getting that now all brown face except for a few whiskers now that are turning mm-hmm. white and yeah you know, she's only six you know go figure and i told him not to worry uh, but he's already shopping for a new puppy uh, um so client dogs you're a pro trainer you, you somebody brings you dog they 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 sadly walk away and then uh, get in their car and and cross their fingers to hope you can work some <laughs> magic with them. What are they, whether they voice it or not? What is the the most important thing they want you to help them with? Mm, well, they want their. I think most people want their dogs socialized, mm-hmm. and then they they want a dog that will you know socialize in a way that they can just handle anything that comes along. And, and certainly by hanging out with us and being on the road and going different places, they learn to do that. They're pretty bomb-proof in that regard. Um, and then they want them to hunt, of course. And I really like to uh, – I, I get the most satisfaction of working with young pups. So I like to take the youngsters and sort of mold them and expose them to all that stuff and, and get people that, that first year dog that you can take hunting. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to, they're not going to do everything right yet, but they can go hunting and do it confidently. Let's go back to the first part of that because I've I've been guilty of uh, you know tr- massive transgressions in the socialization part of some of my dogs. Uh, I remember looking back on one dog and realizing I just started a business and and that dog had spent the first two years of his life basically curled up under my desk. Mm-hmm. How how do what what are some of the most important things we can do? to get a dog socialized whether it's a young dog or maybe even a more, more mature dog what i mean is it just put them in the truck with you or is it do we go to kmart or do we go to mcdonald's well you know we always use uh, uh home depot um yeah. up here in montana <laughs> it's murdoch's um you know wherever dogs are allowed to be but yeah. i think more importantly it's being with other dogs ah. so that so that they learn how to speak dog language because mm-hmm. they're so that they're not just around people and covid really messed things up for people yeah. um it limited people's ability to take their dog out and about um but but a balance between spending time with people because you need to build that that partnership and that bond that between dog and people, but also, just as important is learning to uh, learning to learn dog language and and hang out with other dogs. Do you so, or, do you orchestrate that? I mean, I'm thinking uh, worst nightmare ever is some of the dog park incidents I've heard about. But are there right ways to introduce other dogs? Well, again, I'm lucky, you know, I ha- I own a pack of dogs. And so when we're bringing a client dog in, um, our dogs are so used to do- dogs coming and going that, that, that they don't mind 
whatever the uh, the new dog is doing. Yeah. And and so they learn the new pup learns to leave the old guy alone because he's grouchy, or the play with the young dog because she likes to play with you, or whatever. And uh, you know we we often take client dogs. I mean I do live in a toy hauler, twenty foot toy hauler trailer, and all our dogs come in at night and sleep with us. Um, not all the client dogs, but we switch them out and bring them in and make them learn how to live in tight quarters. I mean, I actually, you know, it's a small place. And so lots of different situations that, that sitting on the chain gang, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, learning, learning to wait your turn. And they, they learn that by watching the other dogs, right? I don't need to be up and barking like a madman because I'm sitting on the chain gang. I'll get my turn. And so they learn to, they mostly learn from the other dogs, just chill and wait your turn. Yeah. You know, I forget the, the importance of, uh, for lack of a better term, peer pressure on a dog and and the chain gang is the perfect place for that. But all of those descriptions you just gave are other places where they are. I mean, dogs are always learning, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Sometimes they're observing. Sometimes they're observing good stuff, and sometimes right. it's not. But they're picking it all up, and it, right, it's good and bad. I think. Right. Well, and you mentioned dog parks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of dog parks in general, but you know, when we're on the road with ten or twelve or whatever dogs, um, we've got to do something with them, and we're not always in a place where yeah. we can just you know pull off and find some BLM land and let them run. Um, we're, we're sometimes going right through the middle of big cities or even small cities. And so we utilize dog parks a lot. Um, I'm always careful. Um, I always observe the dog park and, and mm-hmm. look at the dogs and the people that are there before I, before I bring dogs in. And, you know, I certainly don't go take over the dog park and let my 10 dogs loose. <laughs> that, uh, that would be unless, a Saturday Night Live sketch, by the way. <laughs> well, unless it's empty. I mean, I've done yeah. it if it's empty. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we just, and that's another great way for dogs to learn dog language and get along with other dogs that, that may or may not be mannerly. Yeah, I think it's all a matter of degree. You're absolutely right. Uh, just to, uh, f- full disclosure, I, I avoid them most of the time. Uh, I would do an empty one, I think. But I also like to find uh, little league fields and high schools during the summer, places that are enclosed like a dog park where nobody else is. And and if, you know, with, with, with Google Maps these days, they're a lot easier to find. I'll go into a small town, and while I'm still coming into town, you know what I look for? I look for the Friday night lights. If right. I if I can see the football field lights, I think I've got a chance at running a dog without having to deal with a whole bunch of other problems. Well, and also the fairgrounds. Yeah, the small yeah. Small towns, the yeah. fairgrounds. You know, because they're animal tolerant. They yeah. they understand what you're there for. And if people are about, they usually just leave you alone. <laughs> and if they're not about, by the way, that's one of the best places to look for an RV space. They got a lot of them sometimes. And, and yeah, I was in a rodeo arena two weeks ago with my dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> Luckily, yep. no, there weren't any bucking bulls in there with us, but it's a, it is another wonderful place if you, if you speak the language, especially. Correct. So um, you're getting ready for the Invitational, and uh, some people know what that is. It is the Olympics of dog training and performance. If your dog has an Invitational, um, 
uh, title up. They are the American ninja warrior of dog breeds. Uh, what is your biggest training objective these days getting ready for that which is coming up faster than you think i'm sure <laughs> absolutely absolutely so i'm fortunate enough to um to have hooked up with a group of western invitational training people and we're going to get together uh not this weekend but the following weekend over in washington a, a big group of us and I'm going to drag along a couple of other people from Montana, and we're going to zip on over to Washington and join the group over there and get together with the Central, um, the Pacific Northwest chapter. Hey, I'm a member. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we will uh, do some invitational training with some very generous people who have uh, coordinated this event who have been to the invitational multiple times. So um, I'm very excited about that because I really need some water work and some advice. Um, I think I've got the, the field stuff down pretty well, but that water work is what's, what's given me a little bug. I bet I know where you're going and you are going to love it. If you haven't been there before, that's the best grounds I've ever seen. Um, yeah, it, looks like it yeah it is uh, and this year i think they'll have plenty of water there's been a year or two when well the the you know the utility water hasn't been near as deep as it should be but i don't think that's going to be a problem well yeah you mentioned you you just hit on the thing that pardon me <clears throat> is the biggest challenge for most people and hey i live in the desert i can i feel your pain everybody finding good water to train your dog um that seems to be everybody's issue, especially when it comes to, a, say, a NAVDA test. But just in general, um, water work is something a lot of bird dog people and bird dog in the southern sense of the term uh, don't get enough of. Is there anything you can help clue us into, whether it's finding good water or it's just how to introduce a dog to water? Um, well, finding good water is, I think, a lot to do with networking. Because there's water around. The retriever guys are using water. Um, and there's always a retriever club in just about every city. Um, so making friends with those guys, you know, they're, typically they've got open water. They aren't going to have much duck search water. But, um, you know, making friends with those guys sometimes pays off. Um, and, uh, you know, Google, Google Earth is your friend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're precisely right. I've used both of those and they have paid off. And, and, and I, it's funny, I'll go to water and find the retriever club already there sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my. Um, so um, your water challenge is more complicated than everybody else's. Tell us what you're going to have to do at the invitational. Well, I've got a double mark retrieve, which the, the retriever guys can help me with. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm really good. He's really good on land. So I just need to add in the water component. Mm -hmm. And then I have a, a, a hundred yard blind retrieve to do. And we're at about 60 yards. So um, he's doing really well. I just need that hundred yard water or 150 yard water to train beyond the test. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's where I'm running into my issue. I've got a little pond here on the property. That's maybe 40 yards mm -hmm. the most. Mm -hmm. I, I really need to find that, that bigger body of water. You know, and I know exactly what you mean. I'm, I'm working on lengthening our dry land retrieves and, and, you know, if you, if your dog is always retrieving, 
to the distance you can throw the stinking bumper. It's always <laughs> the same. So mm-hmm. you, you got to have a way to extend that. And, it's, and water makes it even tougher, of course. But let me point out, everybody, that that 100-yard that, uh, blind retrieve goes something like this. Your dog is uh, at your at heel, generally, and, um, and there's a big boom. And the, the bird is across 100 yards of water on dry land. The dog has to take your word for it swim across that whole thing find the dang bird and swim straight back now that's that's about as complicated a task as you could ask any bird dog to do uh how are you parceling that out ruth well i'm just uh just expanding it each way on land and on on the water so Mm -hmm. um making the distance that the duck is from the water on you know on the retrieve end making that bigger and making the water part bigger yeah it's uh it's something isn't it i'm yeah good luck by the way and and hey anybody who wants to see that in action i got i got a i did an episode at the invitational a few years back it's on the youtube channel so take a look at that um that was a lot of fun in fact it's the only way I'll ever get there. I'm never going to make it to that thing with any of my dogs. That's for sure. Um, let's go back to um, to dog training for a minute, because uh, for 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 the rest of us, we're probably never going to do that NABDA Invitational. But we're gonna we we want our dog to be number one, pretty decent in the field. Number two, not embarrass us. What what is the most important field? based training tip you might give us so we're we're in the field handling a dog what's what's the most important thing we can get that dog to do Um, well be part of the team yeah and 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 not have to yell at the dog i mean everybody that i talk to everybody i don't want to i don't want to hum with that guy who's constantly yelling at his dog Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so so I, I am a big proponent of not talking, not yelling, none of that stuff. I want to, I want my dog to be my partner, be part of the team and we can do this quietly and seamlessly and effortlessly looking, um, as the end result, of course. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest thing for me is, is making it, making it quiet yeah that's ruth weiss <laughs> she knows what she's talking about she's a navda judge uh, avid hunter dog trainer pro in that regard as well i'm scott linden i'm none of those things i'm just the host of the upland nation podcast ruth uh, how do you get to that point i mean you're talking about mental telepathy well yes in some some regards um um hunting hunting with your dog and building that bond and the trust um is the first part of it and then when when they trust you that much they're they're much more willing to trust you when you're training them when you're when you're really making it tough on them and 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 maybe stretching them a little bit and Mm -hmm. stressing them that that they understand why why am i doing all this hard stuff it's because i get to go hunting (laughs) You know, I, I just got it. I, you're absolutely right. And I talked about it on this podcast a few weeks back. I've been working really hard on some aspects of the Bird Contact Act with my dog. And we'll have three, four, five really good days in a row. 
And the next day he is raring to go. He is looking at me. He's checking back in. He knows that I'm trying to get him to do something. And he's trying his best to do those things. Is it because they've had several really positive experiences recently, or is it more than that? Well, I think that's a very big part of it. Um, you know, everybody likes to be stroked and told they're a good person or good dog. And uh, it just goes a long way when when they're rewarded with with that at a girl or at a boy and let's do this and we got this. You, you know, I, I used to ask on the TV show quite often, I'd ask a pro trainer, all right, there's, there's praise and there's uh, correction for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. What's the ratio? You know, it depends on the dog. Uh-huh. And, and if you're doing your job right, hopefully the ratio is more praise than correction. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's different with every dog. Um, but I, but I certainly like the, the praise better than the, than well, maybe harsh corrections. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you're right. You know, if, if you've got a Chesapeake Bay retriever, you're probably going to have a 50, 50 balance there if you're lucky. <laughs> uh, so, so praise, it comes in many forms. Um, what's mm-hmm. on your list? Um, hmm. from puppyhood, to the old guys well you know even even the, the verbal at a boy at a girl or yes so i've kind of moved to using yes as a positive reinforcer with my dogs um and, it, and it, they just really like that i mean they all get wiggly when i say it you know like oh yeah i'm doing the right thing um rather than than getting mad at them and 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 making them feel bad i want to make them feel good and that yes is my newest uh, addition to the repertoire. Yes. You know, if you take your dog to puppy class or some people who go into agility, for example, that word is golden with them. And I, I think part of it is actually the word itself. But I think it also does things to our face and to our head because mm-hmm. it is it is a positive affirmation. You know, you, I mean, you think about it, that's exactly what you're, you're, you're conveying. It's you cannot not be positive when you say that word correct yep the other thing and and you mentioned this and i i've had this experience a million times not quite but more than many people i've I've worked with a lot of uh pro women trainers and handlers whether they're guiding they're outfitting they're they're working with us in one way or another or they're on the tv show women to a great degree i think check me on this ruth weiss um are how do i put this they they are more like your kindergarten teacher in their praise and i mean that in the best part my mom was a kindergarten teacher for 32 years i learned from her all sorts of things from tying my shoe on up They, they they voice praise in a different way literally when it's when it's verbal different way than us you know we the guys who played football for example their yes is that when it ought to be yes do you see that i mean do you, are you aware of that when you work with other people absolutely all the time and i'm always trying to get 
uh, guys to not be so monotone because yeah. they just stand yeah. there and their whole body is rigid and they're inflexible and they're standing with their arms crossed or their arms on their hips and, you know, just sort of just hard. And so, you know, I'm just telling them, use your girly voice. Yeah. Just use yeah. your girly <laughs> voice. I, I call it baby talk, but it works, doesn't it? Absolutely. Dogs respond to it so much better. Yeah. And so so get rid of the monotone, get a little excited, and get your dog excited. Uh, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I thought it was just a theory. Now it's in, what do we call it? I was I had floated a river with an engineer a couple of days ago. It's a working hypothesis now. Excellent. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, you can, you know, I you can hear the fist pump in a male's praise and i don't think that's the right way to do it yeah agree i agree okay good <laughs> all right enough about that uh we're getting close to uh time to wrap it up but I, I i want you to tell me um in all of your bird hunting um take a moment we'll wait mm -hmm. best hunt ever The last one. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth Wise, philosopher extraordinaire. <laughs> okay. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the easiest one to remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's not go down that path. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the freshest in your mind. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just very bright and shiny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, does it matter what happened on that hunt or is it just the gestalt all of it yeah. yep yeah. all of it yep whether there was birds or not birds and actually it was the well it wasn't the the pheasant hunt but uh um yeah it was just with a group of couple of new friends and a day of just walking around and being very very happy <laughs> Uh, it sounds like the weather cooperated too, though. <laughs> definitely, definitely. You know, um, that is an exercise we could all do more of, you know, just take a moment every morning over coffee and remember that last hunt for whatever it was. It, it, and at least you're back there again. That's for sure. Hopefully we'll have a last hunt someday together. We got to have a first hunt first, but we'll do that. It won't be before the invitational. So good luck on that. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. That's Ruth Weiss, pro trainer, NABDA judge, uh, avid. Av well, she like she says, she owns a pack of dogs, and then she brings in others for pay. So she knows of what she speaks. Ruth Weiss, thanks so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. It was my pleasure and honor to be part of it. Thank you, too. Have a great day. You bet. And I hope you're having a great day as well. Uh, we've still got a little bit more to cover here, including the Upland Nation Glossary. We're at the letter U. If you've got any suggestions, I could sure take them. And uh, if you planned your big hunting trip of the season yet, have you? We'll talk a little bit about what you said when I asked that question. All coming up in just a moment on the Upland Nation podcast. First, let me remind you that we are brought to you in part by our good friends, and I mean good friends, at Huron, South Dakota. They call themselves the Ringneck Nation, and it's absolutely true. More birds than people in Beetle County. 
and all sorts of fun stuff to do. They got a ringneck festival and bird dog challenge. If you're up for kind of a more competitive situation, friendly competition or otherwise, they got you covered there. Learn more about all of that. And they're 124,000 acres of public access. I'll probably run into you there. Watch for a big white truck. HuntHuronSD.com. HuntHuronSD.com will line you up with maps, discounts, a free information pack, all sorts of other stuff, including the hunting atlas. You can download the app and uh, you're good to go, just like us at the FurFeathersFriends.com event. See you in Huron, South Dakota. Before I go, though, I'm taking a shooting lesson at MidValleyClays.com. Well, not really online. I'm going over there. They're in Jervis, Oregon. That's kind of by Salem, the western side of the state, right off I-5. Dave Fiedler is going to show me and my buddy Tom how to maybe bring down one more bird every day with some great advice from a professional clay target champion it's all at midvalleyclays.com take a lesson come on down park your rv shoot all the shooting games they've got them all there and call ahead on wednesdays and they'll stay open as late as you'd like they'll leave the lights on get it midvalleyclays.com learn more about all of that and i'll see you there We're up to the letter U in the Upland Nation glossary. And uh, apropos of our lovely guest, Ruth Weiss, uh, a NAVDA term, U-P-T. It's the unsung hero of the testing system. It's right between the natural ability test for young dogs and the utility test, which is the one for fully finished dogs. It's called the utility preparatory test kind of the stepping stone if you want to if your dog is getting there but not quite utility ready this test tests most of the same skills but they don't have to finish everything at quite the same level for example dog hits a point they can break at the flush no at the shot i'm sorry at the shot for example instead of steady to wing shot and fall Learn more about the utility preparatory test and all the other words we've got at the Upland Nation Glossary. Just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com and then poke around in there. It's in several places. And by the way, if you helped add a word or two, I sure appreciate it. Keep them coming. And speaking of you and your contributions, I asked on Facebook a while back, have you planned your big hunting trip of the season? If not, when do you do that? And got some great suggestions and advice. John Nomus, congratulations. You're retiring from your first career and heading into hunting season. Good luck. Grouse early trip to Nebraska after their deer season. Yeah, um, boy, the world is your oyster, as they say. Sabrina Serna, can't wait for September. I don't blame you. Jeff Braun, September, Montana, Sharptails and Huns. Hey, see you there. Mark Cross, he says, he's ahead of the curve. They plan their trips while heading home from the previous year. Yeah, if you got a, you know, jockey for vacation time, that's a great idea. Jay 
Knotner, I think is how I'm going to say that name. Uh, good luck getting your Achilles fixed up after damaging it last season. I don't know if I want to hear that story. And George Cummins, I hope we will run into each other. You're heading out for the opener at South Dakota. Maybe some chickens and sharp tails. Well, you'll be in the right place, that's for sure. And um, be safe on your drive. Steve Robbins, I feel your pain. He's planning on uh, uh, making the decision soon. The problem is the trip average is close to 6,000 miles round trip. And with gas, heck, I saw it today at diesel at least at 6.69 a gallon. Steve, maybe we should just ride our bikes out there this year. Hey, good stuff, everybody. Uh, keep your um, keep your hopes alive for uh, lower gas prices and all sorts of other things that might affect you, except for that Achilles tendon. Let that heal completely. And uh, good luck to you all. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation right there on the Facebook page. And thank you to Ruth Weiss, who uh, bestowed infinite wisdom on us on everything from Mern's Quail to dog training. I appreciate that, Ruth. Thank you so much, and uh, see you down the road, maybe in Montana. Thank you to everybody who left a rating and a review. You know, that's the best way for this show to grow, because everybody looks there first. And if they see a five-star rating, maybe they'll give us a listen. So keep it up. We are made possible by the kind contributions of Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, and Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Until next time, I'll see you on a trout stream.